0: We know the story, and uh, we're, cut, we're, we're separated by, what, 2,000 years, and so the challenge, uh, again, will be to, to connect ourselves to the story. So, Lord, we ask you as we gather around the story now... Palm Sunday, Jesus riding in on a donkey with all the hopes and expectations of a nation resting on his shoulders, with all the crowd rushing out to meet him, the children and others crying and singing and laughing and celebrating. Lord, it still seems such a mystery of how the week unfolded. So guide us in our study of scripture now, deepen our understanding of the Palm Sunday Holy Week story. ...that we might be more faithful followers of Jesus Christ... ...in whose name we pray. Amen. So Palm Sunday gives way to a Thursday gathering. Jesus is teaching in the temple and other things are going on. But Thursday night he gathers with his disciples. They gather around a table within the Passover meal... ...that they would have been celebrating... And he takes the meal and reinterprets it. Do this now, not in remembrance of Moses, but do this in remembrance of me. And of course, they're remembering something that has yet to happen, right? We know the rest of the story. And he takes off his, uh, his garments and he gets down and kneels and, and washes their feet and sets an example of love and service and kindness and mercy and says, this is how you should live. They probably right about that point should have been figuring out something's going on here. Because they're pretty convinced that Jesus is coming in to bop the Romans on the nose... ...and to liberate Israel forever. So he's at the Last Supper. Uh, Judas, as you know, um, uh, departs from the Supper. Goes and he has agreed uh, for a price to betray Jesus... And then uh, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, that's where, so they go out for prayer, a prayer meeting, and uh, Judas leads the, um, the guards to him, betrays him with a kiss, and thus begins the drama. And they're brought before uh, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders who have a, a bit of a sham trial, they get him in front of Pilate, uh, as we know. And then eventually he is led away uh, to the cross to be crucified. And all the hopes are dashed. Uh, the story, the hopes, the dreams, the celebration that were so high on this Palm Sunday. But uh, a few days later uh, they're, they're crushed. And then there's this funny little thing that happens on Sunday morning. And I think you know how that story goes. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. Alright, so let's read the Palm Sunday story. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against... Wait a a second, that's not the Palm Sunday story, is it? Eric, isn't that what you preached last week? Oops. I thought my notes said to read Ephesians chapter 6. Unless we see the Palm Sunday story, the Holy Week story, it leads to Good Friday. Unless we see this story as an expression of the spiritual battle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly realms. That's the Palm Sunday story, people. No, Don, it's not. The Palm Sunday story is with the children and Hosanna. If we don't see Holy Week in the context of this spiritual cosmic battle, then I'm not sure we understand the Holy Week story. We're familiar with the donkey and the hosannas and the crowds and the branches and the Last Supper and the betrayal and the trial and all of that. That's what we know. But how do you get from hosanna, Lord save us, all the excitement, all the cheering, all the crowds. How do you get there on Sunday and five days later on Friday, the same crowds? Crying, crucify. How do we get there unless we understand that there is there, there's a battle happening somewhere else? There are forces at work in this world, rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil. There are devil's schemes. There are powers at work. For what crime was Jesus crucified? Because crucifixion was reserved for criminals of the state. For what crime was Jesus crucified? For what sin or failure was he condemned by the religious leaders? His crime? I guess it was confronting the world and the religious leaders... With truth and grace. Hmm. With love and justice. His sin, well he healed on the Sabbath. Heaven forbid that he would heal on the Sabbath. And he opened blind eyes and then the man whose eyes were opened blind began to speak to those religious leaders and was cast out of the synagogue. His sin, calling everyone powerful... And, and, and peasant alike, to repent, and to believe, to believe in a kingdom, a kingdom that was coming, a kingdom that was, was being ushered in at that very moment. All Jesus did was take his stand against the spiritual forces of darkness, the powers that be, but that was enough to get him in trouble and to get him crucified. The spiritual battle (laughs) came to a climax at that moment. And the forces of darkness were thinking they won. The Apostle Paul who wrote these words in Ephesians that we've been studying... that Eric lifted up last week... he knew all too well how the spiritual battle plays out... ...because as a younger man, the author of this letter to the Ephesians... ...as a younger man, he was not known as Paul, but as Saul. And he was part of the religious establishment. And he knew about this band, this heretical group of people... ...who were claiming that Jesus is the Messiah. That this Jesus that was crucified is risen... And and Saul was committed as a religious zealot to putting that heretical religious group to to an end. And so he made sure that these people would get arrested. They would uh, be thrown in prison. Some were even stoned to death. And so as a younger man Saul participated in the persecution of the followers of this Jesus. But then he had a little encounter didn't he? On the Damascus Road. And he himself became a follower of the Jesus whom he encountered there on the road to Damascus. As he was breathing out threats, he had papers in hand to go get those Christians in the town of Damascus. And all of a sudden he becomes a follower of this Jesus whom he had been persecuting. And he finds himself now opposed by his former colleagues. So that he writes as an ambassador in chains. And so lest we think the Palm Sunday story is a feel-good story, it, it is, it is the, the battle being joined as Jesus comes in. All the expectations of a nation are being placed upon him. But the religious establishment is saying we don't like the people going over to him. And the Romans are kind of watching the whole thing. And as long as you keep your people um, subdued that we're going to let you all be fine. But don't, don't get riled up here. And so the Good Friday story unfolds from the Palm Sunday story. The challenge when reading these scriptures that are 2,000-ish years old is in thinking that everything that they talk about is still back there, way in the past, and we're just having moments of remembrance, we're remembering a good story, but I would offer to you that the spiritual battle is still underway. The pattern plays out time and time again. Hosanna's turn to crucify. As they did with Jesus. When he didn't follow script. The religious authorities conspired. The people were willing to be led in this direction. Because he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to come in. And punch those Romans in the nose. Flex up on these oppressors and so time and time again the church faces this same kind of thing Christians and Christianity faces this same kind of thing a world that is glad we're here until we don't play along and then once we don't play along the hosannas we're glad you're here turns to hey get out of here when Christians in the church take a stand on truth, when they don't follow the cultural narrative or the cultural script, get them out. I think we're watching the spiritual battle play out more and more in our culture as conscientious Christians, people who, whose hearts and minds are captured by the truths in this little book. ...say, I don't know that I can participate in that activity... ...I'm going to have to step back... ...and all of a sudden they get criticized for that... ...or Christian organizations sometimes show up to assist... ...and to help, but because of the standards of that Christian organization... ...that doesn't follow the script of the world... ...the world says, get that organization out of here. We don't want you here anymore... As we hold to our convictions, as we hold to biblical standards... ...we find ourselves as Christians, not necessarily you right now at this moment... ...but Christians find themselves embattled and confronted with hostility. It is the same battle playing itself out. From Hosanna, we're so glad you're here, to crucify, get out of here. And so Paul concludes his letter that we've been studying since what Labor Day he concludes the letter with some very simple guidance for those who face the spiritual battle and so at the end of chapter 6 of Ephesians having spoken of the battle spoken of the armor the spiritual armor he says and pray And so Paul concludes the letter with a call to prayer. Pray in the Spirit. I love the way he kind of... ...just so he gets clear on how we should pray... ...or when we should pray or where we should pray. He says, okay, pray in the Spirit. That is the power of the Spirit that's been given us. He's talked about that many times in in this letter. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Not some occasions, but on all occasions... With all kinds of prayers and requests. And always keep on praying. We got you Paul. So you always want us to pray all the time. Always keep on praying for all the saints. And that is God's people. He began the letter with a prayer. Back in chapter 1. It was a prayer of thanksgiving. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. Remember, he's writing to a group who were not raised in the Hebrew Scriptures. These Ephesian Gentiles, they would have been nurtured in the pantheon of the gods and there was Artemis the Great in their own, the temple of Artemis there in Ephesus. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or opened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And so he begins the letter with a prayer of thanks for these new converts having spoken about the challenge of becoming the new <clears throat> excuse me the new family jesus reconciling jew and gentile the cross of jesus christ breaking down the dividing wall of hostility <clears throat> you've got god's ancient people the jews abraham's family some of whom ...have come to understand that Jesus is Messiah... ...now the gospel is going to the Gentiles... ...and Jew and Gentile that have been enemies for centuries... ...are now to live as friends and and family. That's not easy, Paul. And so he prays in chapter 3... ...for this reason I kneel before the Father... ...from whom every family... ...not just Jewish families but Gentile families... ...from every family... Derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. Well isn't that what he just prayed for in chapter 1. I pray that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love this surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. If you all are going to find a way to be family together, you were at odds for the longest time. If you're going to be together, you're going to have to have power. You're going to have to have a spiritual strength. You're going to have to understand there is a love that is like Christ's love, a sacrificial love. You're going to have to learn about this. And then he closes with this call here and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people don't just pray for some of the Lord's people those who look like you or sound like you have the same background as you you pray for all the church you pray for all God's people and don't forget to pray for me Paul says I'm an ambassador in chains I'm in these chains because of this gospel pray that I would Open my mouth and declare this boldly. To these new Gentile believers learning this new way of life and faith, they're called into this new family, God's new society as we've been been calling it. They're facing enemies that are not flesh and blood. There is a spiritual battle going on. And so he closes the letter what I would argue (laughs) is in the same spirit of that Holy Week uh, experience, that there's a spiritual battle happening. And why this letter continues to be studied and followed and embraced and wrestled with is because the spiritual battle continues. It is not lessened, It, it is still underway. And so what Paul is saying here is the way that we hang in, we get suited up. We get suited up in that armor of God. We've got a helmet of salvation, a breastplate of righteousness, we've got a belt of truth. It's just a a way of, of talking about the Christian realities. We have to live into these. We have to make them our own. We have to put them on. It's just not something that, oh yeah, that happened all that long time ago. When we walk out of here, we're walking into a spiritual battle. This afternoon, tomorrow, this week, next week, next month, next year. All the polarization in our society, all the hatred, all the violence, all the wars. That's the spiritual battle. And God raises up a people in every generation to stand firm. So he talks about praying. I don't know how your prayer life is. Most of us don't always feel that good about it, right? I know I should pray more than I do. I think Paul is saying here it's less about how we pray... And I, I don't even know that he's concerned on what we pray. <clears throat> he is concerned that we pray. And keep on praying with all kinds of prayers. There is no single form or style or kind of prayer that God likes better or works best. Some of us are drawn to set established prayers. The Lord's Prayer, we love that thing. Some of us say table prayers. We say the same table prayer over every meal. Some of us say bedtime prayers as we're tucking the kids in and we say those bedtimes prayer. Those set established prayers give order and voice and language because we sometimes struggle to know what, what to say, right? Some of us know the prayers of confession, you might have been raised in a liturgical tradition. Some of us may offer the serenity prayer every day. Some of us know the prayer of Saint Francis. Others draw strength and, and help from praying prayers in the Bible. Uh, back in the fall we said learn this, these prayers of Paul in chapters 1 and 3 for your own. Make them your own, we handed out little cards and, and said memorize these. Some of us go to the prayers of the prophets. Some of us love the Psalms, don't we, right? <laughs> the school of prayer. Some of you were raised in the tradition of saying the daily office, keeping set hours of prayer. Some of us, though, I'm not up for all of you. Some of us do arrow prayers. You know arrow prayers, right? Pew, God, help me. I have no idea what's getting ready to happen here. And just we shoot an arrow to, to, to heaven. Help, Lord, or thank you, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. That's fine. Paul's talking about arrow prayers too. We hand out prayer cards, prayer lists, we have a prayer chain, we put prayer, we put names in in the bulletin. All of it is to ...to do what Paul is saying here. If we're going to make it in this life... ...if we're going to raise our children well... ...and our grandchildren well... ...if we're going to hang in in the midst of this life... ...then we're going to have to be a people of prayer. That is the foundational reality. Again, it's it's that we are praying. Because when we are praying, we are standing firm. (laughs) When we're praying in the name of Jesus... ...we're getting suited up in that armor... When we're praying, we're turning towards God. Uh, We're we're, we're bringing our our hearts and our knees before the one who made us and loves us. When when we're praying, we're, we're invoking Jesus, the one who laid down his life for us. And we're living into that relationship as best we can. When we're praying, we're opening ourselves to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, strengthen, equip me to live this day, this moment, these relationships... For your name. As we keep on praying with all kinds of prayers and requests for all God's people. We find ourselves living into that reality that Paul writes of here. Maturing into the person he intends us to be. Into the community that he's called us to be. This new society. So as we enter into Holy Week. I'm going to challenge you to pray pray each day we handed some prayer guides out I'm going to say maybe back in January we made a bunch of copies Or on the back table there by all those green bags If if you have yours and you're praying it every day, keep on but if you don't know what I'm talking about and you didn't get one, then just pick one of these up we've got it on our website too but it's Sunday Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday Friday, Saturday it's a daily prayer guide and there are seven or eight different areas the unity of the church congregational care and fellowship the leadership of our church faithful discipleship and apprenticeship to jesus our mission into the community in the world families in our community worship life of the congregation and so so prayer points with scriptures each day we're not a high liturgical church we don't have holy week services we don't we're not going to gather Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday Thursday Friday the same way uh, some churches do but I'm going to ask you to take one of these prayer guides or pull out the one we handed and to set aside five ten minutes tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and then Sunday morning we gather again and to pray as a practice as a discipline as an expression of faith and hope and love and response to all that we have been studying but because you're in the battle too. You're in the battle too. I don't know all of what you're facing but I know some of you are facing it. You're in a battle. And so let's pray for each other, let's support each other, and let's remember our sister (coughs) churches in this community and our Christian friends around the world, and let's pray for those who don't yet know Jesus to know Him, that they can be brought in and they can be rescued because they're victims of this spiritual battle. Would you do that? Amen and amen.